I want to write about life like that because mm. it can feel a bit extreme. I'd be the first person. I mean, I'd probably last five minutes, but I like to think I'd be the first person to go and live in a log cabin in a in a wood somewhere, off grid and stuff. But it's not feasible. You know, we've got to live in the world, haven't you? It's not feasible for most people. So, and if that's what if if you want to write about a about food that is feasible for people, then I think you have to exist in the real world. The Naughty Bites Podcast. Kathy Slack is a wonderful person behind Gluts and Gluttony. She became a full-time writer and recipe developer, hosting supper clubs and cookery demonstrations, all with seasonal produce from her veg patch, after leaving the hustle and bustle of the big city. Kathy has won the Young British Foodie Award and the Soil Association's Best Blog Award and is a proud supporter of sustainable farming. In her debut book, From the Veg Patch, Kathy showcases beautiful recipes that shine the spotlight on fresh produce, which celebrates seasonal ingredients at the very best with the helping hand of her beautiful Hadley Spaniel. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. <laughs> me too. Um, so as you know, my podcast is called Naughty Bites. What's your naughty pleasure? I was thinking about this before we spoke today and I don't think there should be any naughty pleasures <laughs> because <laughs> I'm afraid I think food is joy and none of it is naughty so I'm go- I'm sorry to be annoying <laughs> straight off the bat but um I'm going to say I don't have one because they're all all food is pleasure so can actually what's your pleasurable favorite food? Bite, yes. <laughs> Bite, okay. yeah. Um, I have a bit of a cheese thing at the moment. During lo- I blame lockdown. During lockdown, <laughs> I did an online cheese course, which was this insane few weekends where wow. a box of cheese would arrive <laughs> in the post on a Friday, and then you'd spend the whole of Saturday on a zoom call with nine or ten other people and a cheese aficionado who and you'd taste the cheese and talk about well, it and it was heaven so that ruined me so cheese I think cheese. and mm. did you get cheese from all over the world or was it UK specific it or? was from all over well it was from it was from all over Europe okay. um but I do like a bit of British cheese it won't surprise you given my uh interest in provenance and stuff um but but sometimes a a good a good strong gooey French is quite nice did you ever did you get to try it's a Spanish cheese and I'm I love blue cheese and it was it's from the north of Spain and from Astoria so it's called Gabrales and it looks a bit like Roquefort but very similar but um I'm writing this down. Tell me that oh, name again. Gabrales. C A B. Yeah. R A. Mm-hmm. L E S. Thank you. you. If, Looking that up. <laughs> if, you see it, <laughs> if you see it, do try it. It's really it's smooth. Like and the further in to the cheese you go, the gooier and the bluer, so if that's the word, it is. And it's amazing. Interesting. Because the north of Spain is actually famous for its cheese. Like, mm. 
below that. But I think because it's cold, it, the climate's like the UK, which is why it works so well. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know much about Spanish cheese, but we um I was tasting, I was judging for the Great Taste Awards um lately, and we had a few real hard um goats, okay. um sheep, sorry, which I think is a bit more traditional in in, in um in Spain, but they were so interesting. Like mm. one had been sort of washed in brandy or something. I and mean, it was just so unexpected, but they were completely delicious. Oh, so. You've got to try it. Do try it if you do see I will. it. Thank I, you I for that <laughs> so, <laughs> so what inspired you to grow organic? You know, because you've got your own little garden patch of herbs and small vegetables. What what was your idea behind that? Um, the organic part or the growing part? Oh, I say both because both. the story okay. for me is amazing. Yeah. So the growing... Um, honestly, is a bit of a grisly tale. The growing <laughs> came about because I used to work in advertising in London and I'd been doing it for more than a decade or so, maybe 12 years. And I was traveling internationally and it all sounds very jet set and glamorous and mad men. And of course it wasn't at all. It was like trying to herd cats. Um, and unnecessarily incredibly stressful given that we weren't saving lives or really doing anything of huge value and um like so many people in the industry I had this epic burnout like full-on meltdown I thought I'd had a stroke but it was depression and I couldn't do anything for months and months and the veg patch I know it sounds a bit glib but amongst lots of other things and huge privilege at being able to have access to therapy and drugs and care and time and work were amazing. But the veg patch really helped. I hadn't really grown anything. I'd grown a bit before and I was interested, but I'd never really had time to put into it. But it wasn't so much about being able to spend time in the garden. It was that I chucked a few seeds in the soil and they grew and it was like the sun still rises nature is saying and it was extraordinarily liberating for me and calming and I was totally hooked so that's how I got growing and then the organic bit it just seemed it just seemed logical. Like when you're face to face with your lettuce leaves mm-hmm. and they've got slugs on them, which happens quite a lot, you and somebody says, well, here's a bottle of spray that you can spray on these lettuces and it'll get rid of the slugs or whatever it is or cabbage or, or you know, um, yeah. caterpillars or something. <laughs> and you look at the bottle and it's got warning signs all over it and signs saying deadly to marine life and you know don't let Mm. pets or children or animals and stuff you're like hang on you want me to spray this on the lettuce that I'm gonna eat next week it just it just seems wrong yeah like there's no it's not that there was any great uh, um ethics to it it just feels like this I'm not why would I put these chemicals let's I might as well spray these chemicals into my mouth effectively I mean I'd never do it's absurd so quite quickly you you don't you find other ways oh my goodness 
Yeah. It, it's funny you say that because here they don't really spray their vegetables in our village. Like loads of local produce like from our village that I do mm. buy. And I remember that's when you knew how good it was and nothing had been sprayed on it. I ended up buying cauliflower. I've not had cauliflower for a while. I had, I had a earwigs of them. <laughs> yeah, it's just extra protein. I think that's a good sign. It's, it's, it's good. <laughs> And, but I really think we've got so used to things coming wrapped up and perfectly formed yeah. that we forget that to grow, imagine what it takes to grow. I mean, for a start, cauliflowers are really hard to grow, Yeah, which is annoying because nobody ever pays any money for them. But, that, but all hail the cauliflower farmers because they're a sod to grow. Yeah. But to be able to grow a whole field of cauliflowers is a miracle. To be yeah. able to grow it without a single earwig in it, I mean, it's just unnatural. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't hope to do it. They're so how big. are they doing that when you buy them in the shops and they never have earwigs in them? And it's sort of, you know, it's just, and it's just life. You know, we can't live it in is. a sterile world. So, well, yeah, the earwig's not going to do you any harm. No, there, was, there were three. <laughs> okay yeah I mean the good thing the good thing about things like that like earwigs and also um uh uh, caterpillars is that they tend to so especially caterpillars uh turn white and float when they're boiled so at least they if you've got if you're boiling your broccoli for example then they do at least rise to the top so kind of fish keep them out yeah I'm just thinking extra protein, but I just want to know that my fruit and vegetables super fresh mm, because exactly. not all of them are identical. Like you know, one's small, one's tiny, like one's tinier, whatever it is. But I do like the fact that everything is fresh because even when I get my apples, there are little, I say caterpillar holes, little yeah. little bugs, and cut yeah. them off from currently eating it. Excellent. But I don't know what it is, but it looks really good. So I do like that. So because your because your books about. 10 ingredients well 10 vegetables in yep. seasonality did your veg plot inspire that towards here's the plot? book for those watching called I from the like veg it. patch Shameless i do plug. love the title <laughs> Thanks. when i meet you because I've, I've actually got your book when i do meet you i will i'll speak with your little like fan your groupie i want you to sign it for me please <laughs> you'll be my only groupie thank you i would love it <laughs> It will you make can do a day. video. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I was distracted by the prospect of having a groupie. What was your question? Um, it's does your veg plot because your your garden does it? Did it inspire your book in writing about seasonality? Yeah, completely. Practice? And it kept, kind of came about. All of the writing and all of the recipes kind of came about out of necessity. So once I once I was hooked, um, I um what's the word I kind of grew I started growing a lot and um and I got really into it and because I'm totally incapable of uh of planting the right amount of seeds I ended up with these gluts like I couldn't plant like just a few lettuces and then come back a couple of weeks later and plant a few more lettuces I planted all the lettuces because it was so exciting and I ended up with a million lettuces at once. So I had to start thinking of ways of using up all this harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
So I started writing down the recipes for how to use a kilo of lettuce in a wana and that kind of thing. And so, yes, yeah, so that's where all the recipes came from, mm-hmm. which is why all the rest the book is ordered by each chapter is a different vegetable mm-hmm. and different ways of using that vegetable in a way that uses lots of it, but is also mm-hmm. making it the center of the dish. So how to use all your beetroot or, and even yeah. if you aren't growing your own, I feel like lots, so many people get, um uh market garden boxes or uh, veg boxes and things now um that you will get a lot of beetroot at one go in the the season or courgettes at the moment in the UK um but even if you aren't getting that then it's still if you want to buy the tastiest food at the cheapest price, then you need to buy it in season. Tomatoes yeah. are going to be significantly more delicious now yeah. and cheaper than they are in January. No, definitely. Because um, you reminded me of something. When I was like, living in March, I used to buy a lot of my vegetables. I'd just drive up to the farm because they'd have like vegetables for sales, whatever's in produce or season, then I'd get it. And I thought, I need to try and use beetroot. And I thought, what can I do? What can I do? Mm. And I ended up roasting it because mm. it's so sweet. I ended up roasting it and I, I put it with um, soy lentils, like the soybean curry. Mm. So I made the green soybean curry and I like roasted the beetroot and then shredded it and then put it on top. It was really good. Interesting. It's yeah. almost kind of taking this place of a kind of mango chutney in that yeah. sweet sweetness yeah, so it's like the sweet and spicy and mm. my family thought I was strange because they're like who does that I was like well I do, do I do that <laughs> so, but it was because I wanted to use something that was seasonal but make my curry a bit more exciting and then yeah, yeah a bit of coconut on top and you know what do you oh gonna need okay, you to send me that yeah. recipe please <laughs> <laughs> so um I will do that but I was gonna say Thank like you. a lot of people say um to create more sustainable meals is to buy locally. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, the sustainability in food is a minefield. And I think makes it really difficult for your average person with a trolley in a supermarket, which, let's face it, is how... 90 plus percent of food is bought particularly in the UK um so I do often have this like what should I do you know you worry about whether something's organic or not Mm -hmm. and then you want it to be local as well because of food miles for example but and because when you live in a rural situation like I do I live in the Cotswolds um in West Oxfordshire they you're surrounded by farmers so you want to Mm -hmm. feel like you're supporting them as well but then you go well this isn't it's such a it's so hard to compare all the variables isn't it so these beans are organic but they're grown in Kenya so they've come a long way but Mm -hmm they're grown on a cooperative farm in Kenya, which is an amazing thing. And they're organic. So that's an amazing thing. But they've come all that way. 
These beans are grown locally. It's August, so it's the season for beans, um, but they're not organic. But how not organic are they? Are they just not yeah. certified organic because it's a tiny farm? Why would you do that? Or are they properly sprayed with everything under the sun and blah, blah, mm. blah? It's, I mean, and how anyone could make that decision. And that's just beans. We haven't even got into dairy or meat or anything else yet. So I think it's really hard. And I think it's really hard to make a generalization about it because I think mm. it depends massively on the situation. No, definitely. Because um, I, I think working in the industry, like you said, it's a minefield. So where yeah. do you draw the line? And if, yeah. if like you said, we just talked about beans, but if you think about the beans, what about everything else? And then your brain's going, your brain will go crazy in the supermarket. And then it's yeah. like, where do you start? But, yeah. you know, when you lived in the big city, like in London, mm-hmm. did you ever take time away at the weekends to go, let's go into the country and explore and, like, reconnect with nature? Yeah, yeah. I was always a country girl at heart, I think. Um, and my parents had moved to um Gloucestershire like deepest darkest Cotswolds so we kept visiting them and going oh this is nice and my family are from Sheffield so in in um, sort of Yorkshire Derbyshire kind of areas and so we'd been up there a lot and it's so beautiful and I just um I I gravitate towards nature and quiet Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not a got to hear the click of concrete beneath my Gucci heels kind of girl <laughs> at all. That's funny because I actually uh, studied in Sheffield. Did you? Yeah yeah. Oh, I lovely. Pre- I, I do love I, it. I studied pre I love it I, but I want to go back to take my husband because he's been once so I was like we need to go back to Sheffield because I, I actually loved my time there. It rained a lot. I bought yeah. Parker after mm-hmm. I graduated, I threw the park in the bin because I can't only this in the Midlands. <laughs> <laughs> it did justice for four years. Um, but yeah, like Gloucestershire, it's amazing. My friend lived in the Forest of Dean, like mm. the darkest. Like we needed a head torch to get to our house. Brilliant. It was, it was like a cottage from the holiday, actually. It, it, like just like that. But it was um, a bit of a route to go to our house and have garden and it was stunning. But... Oh, I was really nice. I need to get back there. I think. But... I would. I would love to live like that. I'd love to live in the in the absolute middle of nowhere. I mean, we don't now. We're a, we are rural, but we're not. You know, I'm still only fifteen ten minutes from town. Well, from our nearest little town, which has a Waitrose, so is civilized. But you know, <laughs> um, so we're not quite. And I'd like to be a bit more rural, but it's not always practical to be like that. And I kind of feel like. I want to write about life like that because mm. it can feel a bit extreme. I'd be the first person. I mean, I'd probably last five minutes, but I like to think I'd be the first person to go and live in a log cabin in a in a wood somewhere, off grid and stuff. But it's not feasible. You know, we've got to live in the world, haven't you? It's not feasible for most people. So, and if that's what if if you want to write about a about food that is feasible for people, then I think you have to exist in the real world. Yeah. It'd be nice to have a bit of both, though. I think, Mm. you know, you can have that side of tranquility, but also have that essence of civilization so you don't go a little crazy. Yeah. And it's inspiring as well, you know, going to London to see 
to to interesting restaurants and that kind of thing is um is always really inspiring food you always need new ideas and new influences so 100 percent. so you know you with your veg patch Mm. do you like composting is you know not only good for the environment it's also good for food waste do you create your own compost or make composting is good for the soul as well it's brilliant yes I am very into composting (laughs) we could talk for a long time about composting (laughs) (laughs) but I need to get a pen but like um what Um, inspires you about it um I have I have two compost bins and one is I mean let's not get into the theory of composting because it's but it but it means that almost all my garden material goes on the compost heap um which when you're for example as I was last weekend trying to tame the courgettes and the pumpkins which just running riot you have to kind of cut them back so you end up with like barrow loads of foliage Mm -hmm. and all of that it's like magic goes in the compost bin you think it'll never fit kind of pack it down and you come back a week later and it's and it's already starting particularly in this heat already starting to decompose and then I have another one another compost bin which is sort of brewing if you like so it's turning all of those um all that greenery into just like gold it's amazing and it um and it just turns it magically into kind of soil it's it's bonkers and the soil's really rich and you can use it in as a as a feed or as a mix for your Mm. potting or it's so satisfying so um all our food waste that is um not cooked or animal product goes on the compost bin as well everything else goes in our food caddy so it gets um it gets sent to uh to the hot food waste that the council do which can I couldn't do that we'd get rats if we did that (laughs) um though actually we did have a rat visit the compost the other week which was very annoying I don't know why it sort of it had made a nest in it like (laughs) opened the bin and there's this rat going hi what have you brought me today Um, but it's so satisfying that you think it's rubbish and it's and it's all potential it's wonderful oh my goodness so like when I recently went to southwest I found a lot of restaurants that um promote sustainability and in the menus they have well our mussels are from here or you know our potatoes are from here whatever whatever it is yeah a lot of restaurants now are moving towards that sort of direction. Have you got any favourite restaurants that practice that? Um, my all-time favourite <laughs> restaurant is, I had my 40th birthday here, it is called The Ethicurian. And it's just outside Bristol. And it looks over the Mendips, this, this beautiful valley. Mm. And it's... Um, it's got a huge walled garden. You can see why I love it. And pretty much everything that they serve, it's a set menu. You don't know what you're going to get before you arrive. It's dependent on what they've got. Um, is Everything's determined by what's come from the garden or mm. what they've foraged or 
what they brewed like during lockdown they had so many peas and obviously no restaurant that they thought I wonder if we could make our own miso so they did you know it's that kind of this is bonkers and it's such inventive food and it's so tied to the landscape that it's that you eat in it was it's like a perfect it's a perfect mix um you yeah you would love it um (laughs) the other place I'm just gonna check I've got the name right um is um god what's it called it's down it's near Launston it's not far from um where you were visiting I don't think and the name will come to me in a second hang on come back to me in a minute and I'll tell you but other (laughs) than that the Epicurean Oh, lovely. I think there's a place in Devon I wanted to go to, but it wasn't open on the day I wanted to go. Not Devon. Um, Exmouth. Mm. Is it Exmouth? Ah. Oh. Exmouth. No, sorry, Sidmouth. Oh, right. Because I did quite a few areas around Devon. And um, their restaurant menu changes every single day according that. to the produce they get in. And if there's a celiac or a vegetarian coming, they'll tailor more of the menu towards that dietary requirement. And I was like, what? And they had, everything was just from the surrounding areas. And I wanted to go there, but maybe next time. But I'll send you the link of that. I can't remember the name of it. That sounds amazing. I would love to know. And everything from the garden as well. They have this beautiful lush garden. And um, that's what attracted me to it. And you could take your dog. Oh, well. even better. Yeah. You I love a dog out. friendly restaurant. All the places you went to had um was, was dog friendly. Um, you went with I, our friends. But you found I've, it. I've remembered it. It's Coombs Head Farm, obviously. Um, and it's in yeah, it's in Cornwall. And you go and the the veg patches, it's not like the Epicurean, it's not as grand, it's messy and rambling and mm. um but they rear a lot of their own meat as well. Mm-hmm. But very particularly, so the restaurant doesn't have many covers. Again, it's a set menu. And you arrive and they say, We slaughtered a pig last week, so it's pig. Oh, like, pig. okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll slaughter that pig and that's the pig and it's done and there's no pig for another four or five months and they do something else it's really it's mm-hmm. so of the landscape I mean I just love that kind of food okay then um although I'm Granada mm. if you want good chorizo you need to go oh. to the north right because my husband's from although he's British he was born in Gijon and every time you go to Gijon um amazing seafood but the beef is fantastic it just looks like scotland the whole scenery but yeah. but chili feels amazing because where we'd get it was from this little tight tiny shop i wouldn't even call it a shop it was just so tiny the slaughter of a pig and that pig would make chorizo that was spicy mild and sweet other cuts would be like pancetta like literally they would use the entire pig all the cuts of everything and then you'd wait a couple of months till the next slaughtering and literally everything was from that one pig i need to take you there because um when it's there it's it's ah it's delicious i think if we're going to eat meat we need to get our head around the fact that you can't just have the pork chops you're gonna have to have the lot of it but then it's the same with dairy you know if you're gonna have goat's cheese 
let's eat some goat guys you know you, yeah, you, can't, true. you can't have goat milk without having spare male goats so yeah. let's do yeah. something let's eat them you know why let's not waste it but yeah, so yeah true. I think we've, we've got to get our head around that and that's why restaurants like the one you're talking about and Coombs Head and Anethicurian and really helping that conversation it's so I much better so. than it used to be oh definitely definitely but I think I think it's good that people are becoming more conscious about it as well mm. so as opposed to it being kind of hidden you know so I have to ask um you love the UK well parts of the UK with mm-hmm. like countryside but is there any other place in the world or in Europe that gives you that piece of you know that aspect of zen but with the yummy food oh that's a great question because I really do like I'm I'm proper uh, this like this England kind of like Shakespeare comes to me when I stand and look in fields I love the landscape here mm. and I find it really inspiring for food partly because I know it so well mm. um I do spend a fair amount of time in France in the Alps okay my husband's a cycling nut so we spend a lot of time on hills in the Alps in the summer which is beautiful because you're surrounded by these gorgeous cows for example and then you go into the valley and buy the reblochon that they have just made and it's fabulous (laughs) so um Oh, you go to the the markets in the Alps are hilarious and fabulous yeah. and very seasonal and very rough and ready and um, I mean it's mostly it's mostly cheese and ham, admittedly, but that's it's lovely. Great. <laughs> um, but I think I really like that part of the world because the food is so in it is so connected to the landscape because you've got to eat a lot of protein when it's yeah. that cold in the winter but also the pastures are so fabulous for making cheese basically mm. and um and beef and yeah, etc that it's it it determines the kind of food that you eat which I really like that's so good because if your husband is a cycling nut mm. So my husband. Oh, really? Uh, we live according to where he can cycle. Yeah. So we live before we lived in the UNESCO Heritage Site of Granada, and he'd go cycling to behind the Alhambra. There's all these fields and mm. you know asparagus and what have you. It come back with thyme and rosemary and lemon thyme, all wild. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'd make tea with it, so it was really good. But then now where we live, it's still in Granada, but it's in the nas- the end of the National Park. Mm. And from where we live, we can ride up to Sierra Nevada, but the route is so famous for cycling that yeah. you will love it. Yes. It's, it's super famous. And <laughs> again, all the food is from the land. So, you know, stews in the winter, proper cuts of meat, um, you know, it is what you see in that season is what you'll get. So the cheese, the manchego, like the wine is homemade. Mm. It's, it's very, um, yeah, when you do come here, I suggest I suggest no jeans because you will be eating. <laughs> or, at least, or maybe running up that mountain beforehand. Running, rolling, whatever you want to do. 
fantastic oh it sounds amazing so so you you will have to come so what a lovely place to live I think you'll enjoy it do not come mm. in the summer because it's it's 45 degree heat and yeah. um yeah no, I'm struggling like yeah I'm in the shade I never go out it's really bad but um wise yeah no definitely I hate getting a suntan <laughs> <laughs> I live in Granada and I hate getting a suntan too bad. Um, I should have moved somewhere else. Um, but I wanted to mention that, like, you know, you, you left your busy life in um, in London mm. because of what, you you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you went through depression. Mm. But now you're a mental health advocate. What... How does it make you feel that, you know, you've gone through this difficult journey in your life and now you can help other people in dealing with it or just support it you know how does that how did that make you feel when you know yeah it's I if I'm honest I do I still wrestle with with it because I don't want I think it would be really easy to go I had this awful time I quit the rat race I got in touch with nature and it was all Mm. fine and it isn't like that it's a lot messier than that and it isn't all fine it ebbs and flows like everything does and I think it would be um irresponsible to say it can be cured yeah but also by vegetables I mean ridiculous um but also I don't um I don't underestimate how much of a privilege that was that Mm. I was able to stop what was damaging me and do something else um that that isn't an option for everybody um so so it is hard because it it, you what you want to explain the situation but you want to be accurate about it as you as well Mm. um I started talking about it because I felt like it was a good way for me to, it was slightly selfish really, it's quite cathartic and it makes you, Mm. if you talk about it openly, it makes you feel like you're not quite as bonkers in your head as you thought you might be Um, because actually lots of other people go through it and if you can connect with people which is really all that writing is about I think mm-hmm. um whatever it is that you're writing and that that makes somebody else go oh yeah she's just as much in the shit as me <laughs> then <laughs> then that's nice to feel like you're not alone isn't it and it's and that's the same for me as well that if yeah. other people get in touch and go oh man yeah I feel I feel that too you're like oh good right it's not just me then that's great so I get as much out of it. Miss curious you said that because when I read up about it, um, I felt connected a little bit more towards you because many years ago uh, I had a job and I was working 14 hours a day. It was just mm. horrendous. Mm-hmm. But not realising that my body was telling me, showing me the signs. And you in that moment, you're like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then it <laughs> manifested on a flight. Oh no! And we had to. I've never been afraid of turbulence in my life. I thought, yeah, okay, whatever. It's just air pockets. Not, not, I'm not bothered. Yeah. But it manifested. There was turbulence, and I started having a panic attack on the flight. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
and now and then I had fear of flying for about two years and and what helped me was curious similar to you was um I was was walking in the countryside every day Hmm. just in the fields with the trees the squirrels the foxes whatever there was I was there because it took months and months and months um and that's what I found it slowly helped ease parts of that anxiety and, yeah and it was just horrendous but do you know why that was why it was that nature worked for you I don't remember what it was but it was a smell of rosemary I know it sounds really strange um but I, I think it was just the fact that like you can see beyond and you can see all the mountains yeah and all the great like shades of different colors and and it was I think it was time to disconnect and my mobile was switched off and I was just walking, walking, walking. And I think it was hearing nature. And I saw two squirrels like running around the tree trunk, literally chasing each other. And I was like, ah, oh, like it's I think it's time to be conscious with your thoughts and yeah. stop. But it yeah. was smell of fresh herbs that made me go, oh my God. Oh, yeah. And it was curious. It's really interesting you say that. I've just been on, I I really struggled to articulate what it was. Like, why not knitting? Why wasn't that Mm -hmm. my thing? I mean, I'm dreadful at knitting, but find it really stressful. But anyway, why was it gardening? Why was it particularly vegetables? Not anyway, um, but certainly nature. And then very recently I went on a, wait for it, three-day silent retreat. Wow. And it was in this, place near Totnes where they particularly focus on silent on nature on being connected connecting yourself with nature and the restorative Mm -hmm. powers of that which is right up my street and it made me realize that actually when you can sit just sit or walk for two hours and you've got no other distractions you haven't got your phone you haven't got anyone to talk to you haven't got anything to do or think about all you've got is, in your case, the squirrels to watch or yeah. the mountains to look at. And for me, what that does, or at an everyday level, the veg patch to see growing, mm-hmm. the courgettes to see them getting bigger every day, the you know weeds to see them mm-hmm. growing every day or things like that is, um, oh, you've frozen. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm there. I'm there. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, is that you can that you can see I say like the grand scheme of things if you like and in seeing the grand scheme of things and how big this world is and how much is going on Mm -hmm. I I really find that calming because it makes me realize that everything I'm fretting about is a quite small and b Mm -hmm. totally made up anyway you know Mm -hmm. like senses of like ideas about success or social expectations or social structures it's all fiction you know what's real is the squirrels playing in the tree for example and I find that very liberating absolutely um I don't think I was frozen I think I was just absorbing what you were saying and I was like (laughs) well you're still frozen now so oh no okay so (laughs) that's um, all right as long as you can hear me that's fine that's, um, oh. So let me say, like, your writing creates a sense of connecting with the land and the world around you. And you can really see it in your book. Was your upbringing, of, like, similar to that? 
No, not really. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Um, right. No, it wasn't. I lived quite a suburban life in uh, just outside Oxford originally, and then in Warwickshire. Not, you know, no, nothing no. particularly special. My dad. Both my parents are really good cooks in very different ways. So my dad is a very intuitive cook. Okay. Um, he'll read a recipe book and then put it down and never look at it again, but he'll have ideas from it and he'll cook with whatever's in the fridge. Yeah. Um, my mum is quite a technical cook, incredible baker, and um, does things very precisely, but they always turn out perfectly. So they were both brilliant influences when it came to food, but nature-wise... I don't know where it came from. Oh, wow. Mum's a great gardener, so I've always been surrounded by that, I suppose. But, yeah. And then, so taking on from that, like, you know, could you grow your own vegetables? Have you ever thought about learning how to grow Mediterranean vegetables or spending some time in, like, a lemon orchard and picking lemons? You know, that whole thing, like, you know, just... I would love that um our neighbor has a lemon tree and we have this ritual where the sole lemon that comes off it is sliced (laughs) and put into a gin and tonic in like an annual ritual of what gets done with the lemon um I would love that um I grow I before I had my veg patch here at home, I grew on various different people's lands. It's the joy of the Cotswolds. Yeah. is always a benevolent landowner to offer you up a bit of spare ground. And one of them had a greenhouse, which meant that I could grow a lot more Mediterranean mm-hmm. veg. So we grew peppers and aubergines and um, more tomatoes than we knew what to do with. And that was that was wonderful. Um I'm just I'm just not very good at stuff that has to come inside. So mm. citrus is limited for me because of that. Mm. And one of my last questions is that like mm. eating the mindful, mindful way is very important to determine how you look and how you feel. Mm. What's your favorite dish that makes you feel comforted and full of energy that makes you go oh I can today's amazing like because it's all about how you feel on the inside as well um it depends on the season but if it's in the winter um and the the recipes in the cookbook obviously um is comfort pie as I call it and it is like a cure for all ills and it's really simple humble dish with um a pastry case a puff pastry case the whole thing's enclosed in pastry and inside is a mixture of um chicken and mushrooms and I'm gonna get the recipe out so I can remember exactly and then kind of whatever veg you've got but I particularly like a lot of leeks in it um and a kind of creamy sauce to go with it and it's just like sucker when you need it. it's comfort in every way you could put kale in it as well you could I mean there's all sorts of different ways of doing it but that's my like 
creamy, rich yumminess. Um, but in the summer, I think something, well, it's still got to be something super simple. Um, like, yes, I'm just looking at this comfort pie, a recipe for glumle- glumness, and it's got mushrooms in it. That's what I'd forgotten as well. Mushrooms and chickens and leeks and, oh, deliciousness. Um, but in the summer, I think it's about the, like, the stuff that's nourishing is almost mm-hmm. more about the process than anything else. So you don't really want to cook very much in the summer, but mm-hmm. to wander into the garden and pass the basil and smell it and pick some of the basil and then wander towards the tomato pots and pick a couple of tomatoes that are warm because they've been in the sun all day and perfectly ripe and just slice them with some olive oil and some salt and put the basil on top and you get that incredible fragrance of tomato vines and on your fingers and basil just picked and and then you just sit in the garden on the floor and on the grass and eat it that's such I love that you make it sound so poetic. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> it is so poetic. But actually, one of my favourite recipes of yours is the um, the crumble, the stovetop crumble. Ah, um, thanks. The apple number. I love, I love crumble. I, anything with apple that's pastry or pie or crumble, sheer weakness. And with custard or cream, it's... Um, it's I a lovely way day. to start the day, that one as well. Yeah. I mean, maybe not with custard, but maybe with custard, why not? But with yogurt or something. So, so good. And and my last question is, um, mm-hmm. I've read your book. I love your book. And I love your whole feel for plants and vegetables. Is there a follow-up book coming? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, does anybody know any publishers? Um, <laughs> yeah. I really hope so. I would love to do another one. I'd love to do another recipe book. I'd love mm. to do another book about nature and how it makes you feel as well, if that's not doesn't sound too esoterical. Veg growing and how it can make you feel. Um, and the restorative powers of it. But but we'll see. Um the publishing world is in a funny place at the moment and understandably because it makes great um financial sense is publishing really big names and I'm not that right now so well oh, you are for me so. oh, bless you. in the world of sustainability <laughs> I'm your groupie so. <laughs> I would love to I mean I just it was such a joy to write it was it felt slightly indulgent but Mm -hmm. fabulous just to be able to sit and write a book and then photograph the recipes and I mean it was just a joy from beginning to end so I hope so I hope so too and I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today it's been amazing getting to know you and learning about your story and the journey and I really love chatting to you thank you for taking the time it's been brilliant fun fantastic thank you so much have a great day